0: And I will read the text this morning, two separate passages from the Gospel of John, beginning with John thirteen thirty-one through 35. When he had gone out, and the he being referred to here is Judas. This is after the foot washing. And Jesus told Judas, quickly, go do what you must do. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And just uh, a bit after that, in John 17, as Jesus is praying what is known as the high priestly prayer, he says to the Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me. that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The word of the Lord. The leaf withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever.
1: Good morning. Howard Brown, the pastor at Christ Central Church once again. And um, on Monday when I began to put this passage together, this sermon together, I realized that this is probably and is going, not probably, this is going, we're going to finish John today. And um, the rest of John, I don't know if you guys remember, or if you were here, we did uh, the Passion Week during Easter time, and then we picked up on chapter uh, 21, that is, when we had the installation and ordination of officers. And so, I believe, uh, you know, just looking back, the study of this book has been good for our congregation. And I know I've learned a lot, whole lot about it uh, myself, um, not only through personal study as I prepared for sermons, but Equally from some of you who've shared and challenged me by its words and gospel teaching. It's just fitting and providential that um, today is, is joining day, and this is the end of John, because in his final teaching here at the Last Supper, Jesus lays the groundwork for life together as believers, for being the church, for being in Fellowship and unity with each other. And he does so by declaring that God's people will be called and perfected to love and be as one like God the Father and Jesus, God the Son, uh, uh, and and God the Holy Spirit were. In, in, In this world of denomination and church competition and growth and self centered Christianity, it is easy to lose focus. And faith, when we forget what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus calling and empowering his people to be one through worship, one in love, and one in mission. One through worship, one in love, and one in mission. One thing that is constant throughout the Gospels when it comes to the oneness between the Father and Jesus the Son, as we see in Jesus' words here, is that in their divine oneness, Jesus is always carefully and explicitly glorifying God. Now, though that, I know that might sound a little awkward considering they are one God and three persons, but that oneness is coherent and expressed by their glorifying the character and relationship and place of the other in the Godhead and in this world. And Jesus, being God our Redeemer, invites believers To through him give in and give and join in to give glory to God too. Look with me at verse 31 in chapter 13 once again. When he had gone out, that's Judas, Jesus said, Now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And then look at verse 22 and 25 in chapter 17. It says, "The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one." Then verse 25, "O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know and these know that you have sent me." There is this glory giving between Jesus and and God, that He gives glory to the Father God, and and the Father God gives Him glory that is His. In fact, in verse twenty five, Jesus calls God the Father righteous Father, declaring an attribute and, and glory to God that, that that He is telling God the Father who He is, and that all gives glory to the Trinitarian God. How could I describe it? It's an A and B worship service between God the Father and God the Son, and He allows and calls His people to see it. This glorifying of God by Jesus is an express oneness of God Himself. And it happens again as each person in the Trinity, as we look at Scripture, is taking their place by submitting and sacrificing and humbling themselves, turning and tuning their persons to not seek their own will and way, but give way for the Trinitarian God to shine as one. When Jesus is asking that we be made one, Be one by coming together to worship. He is saying and calling us to come into order and rank with each other before God to make sure God is getting the glory and not us. That God is getting his desire from us like he got from Christ and we are not coming to seek our own desires just like the Lord Jesus didn't seek his in saving us. That we are able to give him all that is due him and his name that like Jesus when he called the father righteous that we are careful to attribute what is true about him to him. And God accomplishes this transformation. Formation of of oneness through worship when we are called and participate in glorifying Him. Think about the liturgy and creeds and congregational singing that we have in our worship service. And you know what it's designed to do? It is designed to keep us focus on one god and his glory and his attributes and and we seek and call for and and hope to create at christ center church a a unified worship through through forced forced corporate participation by the liturgy because being a diverse church we don't have the freedom of cultural familiar churches like like other churches where it's just one culture and one people group that helps them be one in glorifying God. At a church like Christ Central, God is sanctifying and getting focused oneness and glory by pushing and melting us and calling us to submit into and through the liturgical mold of our worship service. At a church like ours, we need a binder. And that binder is like, I don't know, spiritual egg or bread crumbs. And, and let me tell you. It changes the shape of things. It not only changes you know, the shape of our worship service, but as people come together in this spiritual binder of God's liturgy and worship, it changes the shape of you. And now people don't see little bits of whatever. They see one whole unit worshiping God, and you experience one whole unit worshiping God. And you know what it does? When you take, let me think, hamburger and you put binder and egg or something else in it, it becomes a meatloaf and it changes the individual taste and it changes in you and me in this worship service wants, and it makes us be one thing for one purpose, giving glory to God. Now, let me tell you, we have some awesome musicians at this church. Remember, we started Christ's Church, like, we have to get some good musicians. And God's blessed us. You know, I mean, they are great. I could and maybe I should charge y'all some Sundays. Some people sit at Smelly Cap. Could y'all keep the door open? Why? Because I just want to hit that music. But you know what we have committed to? Keeping it beautiful and intense and engaging to help you glorify God and get there where your attention is gained towards him. But let me tell you, for the last 10, nine, 10 years, we have fought off trying to be a show. It's been hard. Because it ain't their fault, the musicians are so good. But they actually let me tell you, they actually sacrifice displaying how good they can sound as individuals. They could kill it up here. But they've chosen. And we've chosen instead to live as servants to you, to, to each other, with, with, with the elder and staff and each other to submit our gifts and talents to glorify God. Church music is weird. And we tried to make it cool, put some music with some words, and it comes out sounding kind of awkward sometimes. Sometimes. Like maybe what we're doing, is singing. What is this word that don't seem to make sense? It's different because we're not trying to make you feel good about you or feel good about the music. It's about the music accompanying you to glorify God. And its whole purpose is to do that. Friday I took a trip to Asheville. Just sometimes I like to go places hiking and stuff by myself. I'm kind of weird. I went to the Basilica of St. Lawrence in Asheville. And I don't know what has happened in our modern-day churches. But they had something right up in there. You know, I got in there and I wanted to pray. I even pulled out a needle and started praying. Now, I'm still a Protestant, Jacob, okay? But, uh, okay. My brother over there raised Catholic, you know, he's real serious about that. But he knows what I'm talking about. And you know, I began thinking, what if we were to get a building like this? You know? I mean, well, you could just stand in the middle and do like a sound like this, and it goes over the, I mean it was, it was interesting. I was in there. People must have thought, "What is going on with this guy? Does he see something? You know, Whatever. I'm walking around being a guy who worships in a neighborhood theater on Sunday, and I am impressed. I started to think, where would the band go, you know? They had this prayer area on the right, this prayer area in the left. I'm like, we could take all those candles and stuff out, and we could put the band over there. (laughs) And as I was thinking that, I was walking it, and it says ADT Protected Candles. It's actually had, okay, anyway. I was looking around, and I turned around and looked to the back, and there were the mics and the drums in the back. Now, ain't that something? That worship was up front. That the things we should, should glorify were up front. And the music in the band were at the back. Now, I don't know if we're changing all that. We're not trying to start nothing up here. But it just made me think, what has hurt our oneness is says sometimes in the modern-day evangelical church, we think we come into a show or a concert or a worship service that is designed to serve us, and all that does is splinter us. But if we're here to worship and glorify God, then it's our work to move closer to that reality. But you know what's the most profound thing about being one to worship God as I looked at the scripture is his glory that we're supposed to give him is happening on and making us one look with me at verse 22 in chapter 17 it says the glory that you have given me I have given them that they may be one even as we are one What is Jesus saying that the power and person of God at work in and among individuals to make them one church that glorifies God, that God is at work. And and so when I hear stuff like I need to be careful here because this is loaded with cultural validity that may be alien to your experience. And I don't want to tempt you to judge certain people. But when I hear stuff like I went to church and got my praise on. Maybe I don't have friends who say that I do. That's good. But what Jesus is asking here is, did God get his praise on, right? And if that's not how you got yours on, then that's not the way it should go. Because what we see in these passages is that God in the midst of individuals is making them one only as he glorifies himself in their midst. Look with me at chapter 13 and verse 31. Again, skipping what Jesus said. Now it, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And then look with me at verse 23 in chapter 17. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one. This is after he says he's going to glorify himself. So that the world may know that you sent me and love me even as you have loved me. Even as you loved me, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, what, what we see is the function and importance of the Trinity in worship. Understand that at all times and eternally true, there is a heavenly antiphonal and divine worship within the Godhead that, that we are invited to come into through Jesus. D- did you know and do you understand that A and th- the worship service is really God revealing and talking about and sharing himself? That a worship service is, 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 is about gathering people around what God is doing and done, not primarily God gathering around what we are doing and have, and have done. And I mean, yes, people are singing and talking and praying and leading each other with, with, with leading each other up here, but understand that we lead and sing and preach with borrowed words because we sing and exercise with God's words and the directions that he gives us about himself. This worship service is Jesus freeing and calling people to God's display of his glory. This worship service and worship services are the Holy Spirit working in us in a way it doesn't happen when we are alone? And the Father gets glory from the Son Jesus, and He makes His name, worship, and service. And we are observing and participating in God worship and God Himself worshiping. I mean, in verse 20 through 21 in chapter 17, Jesus is asking the Father to give believers a special invitation. Asking the Father for how can I describe it a backstage pass, a VIP, a 3D HD Omnimax surround sound seat to His people to participate in and see what God is doing and displaying. And what happens is we become one by being one group from all the people on the earth that have been invited and welcomed together to worship God and have God glorify Himself in our midst. I remember when the movie Crash came out. Pretty intense movie. And there's one scene in that movie where the music and action, just the way the storyline was set up, the anticipation was great, and and there's something about the perspective and direction of the writer and and director. It spoke to something in us all as humans. It kind of drew out our expectations and fears, and together, all together, there is a rise and fall, and folks were gone into one direction of the director and the story. And it was so dramatic in there. Kelly was like, we got to go back to see it again. And we went back. Here's the deal. At that scene, we didn't even look at the movie screen. It was worse just looking at the people, man. And we saw the scene coming. We looked at the people and we saw their faces rise up together. And it was the most interesting thing because each and every face said and looked exactly the same. You know what is going on here? When the word is being sung and preached and prayed? And the Lord is lifting, being lifted up and lifting himself up in all these ways. The spirit is touching and leading each one of your hearts of his people. And there is a spiritually hypnotizing performance and display of God that God draws us into one expression, into the oneness he's talking about, into one place, to one performance, to one story of the gospel, into one celebration of one faith, Lord and baptism all happening here. Or when y'all get together in prayer groups or community groups around the word and testimony and prayer, some even with singing and food. And so we engage in this careful discipline to make sure we are but the stagehands of his awesome performances of interpersonal but invitational divine worship. We spend all our time, lots of time, trying to figure out how to do a worship service. The scripture is good, guides us, it's regulation, regulative principle stuff in here. We like it. But so often we forget this is not our worship service. And that's what splinters us. We're not about God's performance, we're about our performance. And we wonder, why can't we be one? Why do we leave here upset? And why do we go to lunch and talk about, I didn't like this and I don't like that? God is doing something. And we failed to see that this is his thing and we have been invited. Praise his name. But he not only calls us together, Through worship, but by love, out of love for the same person. Let's look again at chapter 13. I'm going to read these verses over and over quite a bit. You'll probably have them memorized by the time I'm done today. He says in verse 33 in chapter 13, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me just as I said to the Jews. So now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then look with me at verse 26 in chapter 17. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Two things that, makes, that, that Jesus makes clear by his words and actions in that is that we come together in love out of our love for the same person and out of that one person's love for each one of us. I don't know if y'all know this. Those of you who have been at this church for some years, I don't know if you know this about me. I'm a Clemson fan. I'm not super extreme. Thomas and Margaret, who joined today, they Clemson grads, and Margaret was like, please don't be one of those that go around Real extreme. I'm not that extreme. I'm just regular in a Clemson way. <laughs> so when I see people, I've made a fool of myself. I see people with Clemson tags on their car, and I will stop in the parking lot and say, What's up? <laughs> I've scared some people. <laughs> Folk clutching their purse, like, Whoa! <laughs> huh? I'm with Clemson. Oh, okay sometimes they even blow my horn. Bum, bum. Who is this guy? Because I think they love the Tigers too. We are here, right? We, we get each other. We, we love each other. Because we love the same team. That's stupid. But it's very biblical. And that one for the same team thing intensifies when you are together cheering at a game when men and women that may react prejudiciously seriously or ignorant towards me, if not for the one love, for this one team. I remember Kelly saying she went when she went to her first game together that she had not seen so much orange and Anglo in the same place. And how strange it was that all these mainly orange and Anglo people focus on mainly African-American young men on the field in orange, strangely unified by love of one thing. I mean, you friends during the game. You hate it after, but you're friends during the game. And I remember I got a whiff of just how strangely unified. When I was a student, once at a game, an interception happened. We got an interception, and one of my racial equality challenge fellow local non-student fan jumped up after the interception and yelled, run, N-word, run, run, N-word, run. And here I am with my hands up too, and I'm looking back like, what is going on in here? We are both happy, but he's off. An extreme example of the challenge of oneness and love. But do you know what believers are called to do when there are issues and sins and imperfections toward each other and God that may hurt the oneness? We are freed by our love and love for the same God and message to challenge and encourage and correct each other towards sanctification and towards perfection. Knowing that it is the object of our faith that is the power and freedom to change and love each other. You see, it is in the actions of Jesus that precede this message to love one another here. When 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 we are imperfect and sinful and ignorant or or off in our love for God or, or something's broken in our lives and and, and each other and, and you know what it says, Jesus washed feet here, feet here. And so love washes feet. It takes the position of a servant towards the offense of someone else. And it seeks to wash them with the word, not only the offense and sin in each other's lives, but addressing the battering and bruising and the world's loneliness and pains and struggles and fears and loss and desires and ignorance that is all over us. We take that into our hearts and hands and wash each other with the word and deed because we love the same person, Jesus which means to do so will require being with each other out of love for the same Jesus and the same gospel. And we do keep the point towards him and not the love you have for yourself or your personal stuff. You know, I thought about we spend and waste more fruitless and loveless time waiting or looking for the perfect person or people who will love us and and love and like what we like or who are like us instead of what is displayed here in Scripture to be with and love and seek out the ones who love and like the same person that you do. Jesus Christ. And the one sure and same thing you do, the gospel Focus, relationships and connections based on that. That's what the oneness of love Jesus is talking about. And you know what ironically comes out of spending time together, loving the same Jesus and gospel for and with each other? Jesus tells us a few verses up in chapter 17. This word, joy. Huh? But me and this person, we don't get along culturally. But if you're busy loving the same Jesus and and, and connecting on that level, all of a sudden, Jesus says, joy is going to come. And joy is another way to say enjoyment. You may actually begin to enjoy and like being with the person, not because you're so great and your love so awesome. This is a gospel message. This is not about people being good. This is about the love of Jesus being so good, we love the same Lord, and in that we are made one to love each other. Because when we think about the foot washing of love, it's not only about loving each other as those who love the same person, but as those who are loved by the same person. See, when Jesus washed the the disciples' feet, he was expressing and expressed at the foot washing the kind of love the Father had for him and his people. You know why we have the ability and power and call to love one another? Because the same person loves and is loving each one of us as the gospel says. Look with me at verse 26 in chapter 17. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And then verse 34 in chapter 13, once again. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. Simply put, Jesus loves each every one of you who is. You know what makes you one? One love. That one Lord died and loved you. You all are the ransomed and redeemed of the Lord. You are a peculiar crew, and if you have experienced the love of Jesus, you will experience and should be experiencing that love between each other. Jesus loves us, love the person beside you. And over there and overseas and across the street. Jesus loves the person in this church with you just like He loves you. He gave rebirth and adopted each one of you, which, which, which you know what? None of you deserved. We are all orphans, y'all. Do you understand that? We were orphans. And Jesus chose us. He adopted us. Now we all are in it together because Jesus loved us. Guess what? we now a family, a family that's called to love each other. Why? Because Jesus first loved each one of us and called us together to be a family. My brother, my brothers, my sisters, Jesus loves you. You are a child of God, and that encouragement and building up and protection against the lies of the world and Satan for each other is all because we are truly loved by one person. You know what we should be called to do? We work and make sure that not any, that none, no one ever is forgotten or forgets, and make sure that anything we do or say or would do would not hurt but only confirm and build up the fact. You are a child of God. We got to remind ourselves of this. Love says, Don't you know Jesus loves you? Even when we're correcting each other, even when we've strayed, even when we're consumed about stuff we shouldn't be, even when we're self centered, even when we've been hurt even when we've missed the truth that we come and the encouragement of love is based on the fact that we are one family and like a little brother like I'm the big brother and having little brothers it meant that you stand up to the bullies that each and every one of you face in this world that tells you you are a nothing that tells you God has forgotten you that tells you you are stuck being lonely that tells you that that, that, that your sin cannot be beat that tells you it is over and give up and what you do as a big brother or a little sister or an aunt or an uncle or however role you play in this family is you encourage the other to say you are not forgotten you are in the family with me and I'm going to fight for you Amen. my brother and sister-in-law had, we've not been getting along over the years I just thought it just couldn't be that way. We family, and it took a long time. and I'm still scary that we getting along. You know, we fine, but it took years' to work. One key, though I thought about was my dad's consistent desire and love for each one of us. Even though we weren't getting along, he loved each one of us, all of us at the same time, and he did through through did it through his sacrifice and his gifts and his invitation and his gatherings. He kept having 4th of July. He kept having Thanksgiving. He kept saying, come on. I don't care who shows up. We can handle it. You're invited. You're invited. Did you invite them? Yes, I did. You come too. He just made place and room and power and food for unity to know and experience life in his love together. She's gathering his people. You from over there, she from over there. You don't get along in this and that, politics and all kind of crap. He's sacrificed. He's given gifts for us to love one another. And we take a lot of money and time and books about reaching the world. It's funny what this passage says over and over. That the world will know him and come to know Jesus by our oneness and by our love. You may have heard this. A famous missionary once said that missions is designed because the world is not giving God the glory and worship that's due his name. Do you know what missions is about? It's about setting up communities and fellowships and churches that worship the Lord. Just telling somebody on the beach with a track, that's good, But that's only the first step to what really draws people and keeps people assured of their faith. And that is the oneness and love that we see in our churches and in our bodies and in our communities and our fellowships. And let me tell you, that's the thing that's truly going to make a difference in the lives of your neighbors, in your friends, in your families. That there is a place and a people that love sinners like you. Hey neighbor, I ain't good. But there is a Lord in a place that loves me as a sinner, saved by grace. You know, when I was in RUF ministry, which is the campus ministry of our denomination at, at, at Clemson, and I, I just remembered hearing this philosophy of ministry, and I was like, wow, that's unique. Because I was always in campus ministries where the goal was to go out and, and, and knock on doors and, and, give, and tell people, bring people to Christ. Again, I'm not coming down on that. I'm just saying that was just a different way of looking at it. But what I heard was this. It's about glory. It's about kavod, a Hebrew word for heaviness. That as God's people come together to worship him, God's people come together and as Jesus works, they love one another. It creates this weight that causes a gravitational pull for those to come to Christ. Does our lives revolve around the gospel? Does our lives revolve around Christ and each other? It draws people to him. We started this whole passage, this whole book of John talking about the light. How the world was in darkness. We join together around Christ, around the cross. And Christ is displayed as a light of the world in here. And they will know him. By what he does among us in this place. As he works one love among us.